it is a way that God um, um, condescends to us and gives us things, um, real things that we can see and taste and touch in our lives and says, um, this is like, you know, my body broken for you and my blood poured out for you. And you are nourished by this in the same way that I nourish your hearts with hope and joy. Elizabeth Harwell's new book is The Good King's Feast, an invitation to the Lord's table. It's a picture book that helps children understand communion. Her previous picture book, The Good Shepherd's Pasture, is about baptism. Elizabeth and I sat down to talk about writing for children and what it means to invite them into a story that they're already a part of. Elizabeth Harwell, I'm so glad that you are on the Habit Podcast today. Thanks for being here. This is so fun. Thanks for having me. So you have recently published a book, a picture book called uh, The Good King's Feast. Mm-hmm. It's about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a follow up to The Good Shepherd's Pasture, which was about baptism. So these mm-hmm. are, are two picture books that um, that try to explain these sacraments to, to children. Um, how did you decide to write books about sacraments for children? <laughs> Well, it wasn't really a decision. Um, actually, I never thought that I'd be writing for children. So um, I ended up here um, slowly. Um, so Andrew and I, my husband Andrew and I made a physical move um, several years ago, um, which included a denominational move. Mm. Um, so we um, moved from a <clears throat> tradition that did not practice infant or covenant bab- baptism <clears throat> to one that did. Um, and so as I'm sure most writers do, I, I sort of process things by writing. Um, mm-hmm. so as I was sort of wrestling through, what does this mean? What do we think about this? What is this saying? I was also writing about it at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, so I had a blog for a while that was just for friends and family and, um, wrote this blog post after our second son, Charlie was baptized, um, and sort of compared it to um, being in the pasture, the good pasture. So Andrew and I are being taken care of Jesus, um, who is our good shepherd. And our children, by nature of being under our care, are also being taken care of um, by the good shepherd. And mm-hmm. um, so I sort of write about this saying, you know, baptism is a way of showing and telling our children that they belong in this pasture with us. And um that Jesus is singing these songs over us and we are singing his songs back over them. And their baptism is a place um, to tell them that, to sing the promises over them. So anyway, so through this, um, I had people say, well, this is really helpful for me. You should think about turning this into a book. So um, this is a five year sort of just thinking, praying, getting connected to a publisher Mm -hmm. um, and that coming out. Um, And then after that book released, The Good Shepherd's Pasture, my publisher asked me to think about doing one on communion. So there would be a mm-hmm. companion book. So anyway, so that, that's just where, how it came about. And that was a, an interesting sort of switch from um, the book on baptism sort of came out of me, you know, mm-hmm. that I was thinking and processing about, and then to be asked to write something that um, from the outside, you know, yeah. here, can you take this topic and think about it and write about it? That was an interesting experience. So, Yeah. Well, uh, as a Protestant, you're now out of sacrifice. <laughs> I'm done. No more books for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, if you make another denominational move, you can have up to seven. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll talk to Andrew about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
Um, so the language of faith is very often the language of metaphor and, and symbol. Mm. You know, it's, figure, it's often figurative language, and yet children, you know, they're doing the best they can just to sort of get the figurative That's right. meaning of things. Um, so tell me about that. I mean, so you are, you know, you're, you're writing books or you've written two books um, to help people who don't yet get figurative language Mm. in understanding these highly, you know, uh, these, these act, these acts that have a lot of symbolic freight, they carry a lot of symbolic freight. Um, I imagine you spent some time thinking about how kids make sense of metaphor, similar, you know, metaphor, symbol, those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of how we all make sense of things, right? I mean, we, Mm -hmm we can't learn something new without connecting it to something that we already know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think for kids, metaphor is hard for them um, mm-hmm. to make sense of, but um, I think we're always using similes with them. You know, we're using mm-hmm. similes with ourselves and with one another. So this thing is like this other thing. Um And so I feel like I do that all the time with my kids without even thinking about it. That's the way, you know, we don't just give straight up definitions for things. We connect it to something that they already know. And um, I think, does the word metaphor, doesn't it mean to carry across? Is that the... Sounds right. That sounds familiar. Okay. We'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Somebody can correct me later, but um, it's funny that that the word metaphor is actually, you know, has a metaphor in itself. Yeah, right. How we connect things. Um, so I don't know. I just think that's such a privilege um, to almost literally get inside somebody's head and to carry them across, you know, to, mm-hmm. to make connections from one thing to another. So, um, so yeah, obviously the sacraments are much more than metaphor, but it is a way mm-hmm. that God um, um, condescends to us and gives us things, um, real things that we can see and taste and touch in our lives and says, um, this is like, you know, my body broken for you and my blood poured out for you. And you are nourished by this in the same way that I nourish your hearts with hope and joy. And, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think children are little people, right. (laughs) You know, so they, they learn the same way that we do. And, um, and so this, it's a privilege to be able to connect things for them, to, mm-hmm. to condescend to them and um, to carry them across. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think it's a, that's a helpful um, distinction that you're making between metaphor and simile. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, you know, when, when I talk to grownups about figurative language, I, you know, I'm usually not especially interested in the difference between metaphor and something that feels like, you know, one has the word like or as it and one doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I think you're exactly right that, that if you if you tell a child life is a highway, they're like, I don't know. What you're talking about. <laughs> but if you say, you know, this, you know, life is like, well, okay, life is that's that's just an abstract. That's that's. Uh, but to say that now I'm trying to come up with an appropriate simile for hard to do it on the spot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, this house is like a zoo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, kids uh, don't have any trouble with that. With that. Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah, they're already know. doing that anyway in their heads, yeah. you know, with one another. So that's how they're learning new things is connecting it with what they already know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. Well, that okay. That's that's helpful because I really I, I was thinking this is a this is a big challenge, but it's it's not any more of a challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. For similarly, I don't think it's a more any more of a challenge for children than it is for for grownups. Really, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think it's it's clear enough that they don't you know they, there are things they could miss in the simile that maybe we're a little better equipped to to get, but. Anyway, moving on. Um, there's also the matter of story. One of the things I, I love about what you do with um, the Good King's Feast is the way you you place um, the Last Supper mm-hmm. um, in the context of the story of the Passover and the story of the Marriage Supper of the Lamb mm-hmm. as a way of connecting the um, the Lord's Supper that happens mm-hmm. every Sunday or you know, occasionally on Sunday or depending on one's church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and and then you're also saying, and you, young reader, are part of the story too. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's not a question, is it? Yeah, well, I, I think when I was given this assignment to sort of think about the Lord's Supper um, and how to communicate it to children. Um, you know, I started thinking like, well, how am I going to say this in a different way? You know, what 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 do I have to say about this, and um, how do I make this mine and not just some assignment that's been given mm-hmm, to me? Mm-hmm. Um, as I started studying, I knew that I needed to start at the Passover um, um, as this sort of feast that starts and is brought more into its fullness throughout Scripture. Um, and I was really just amazed. Um, I don't know. I think for the first time I saw it as, okay, this was not just before it was a meal of remembrance. It was a meal of promise. Um, and so, you know, God, when God instructed Moses to have, um, his people, um, sort of put this feast together, um, he said, you know, to keep doing this. And he said, and when your children ask you, why are we um, practicing this meal? This is what you're going to say. So um, the promise that was woven into this story was, this is not going to be your last meal. I'm going to deliver you because I'm telling mm-hmm. you to keep doing this meal. And and your children are going to survive this too, because I've said when your children ask. So mm-hmm. um, I just sort of loved that thought that um, yes, they were to continue this meal and to look back um, and to be participants in this story throughout the generations, but um, but they were also feasting on the promise. Yeah. Um, and then you know Christ comes and um, and he sits at the head of this table, which is just sort of amazing. And so the meal comes more into its fullness as um, the Lamb of God Himself is at this feast, and he sort of. Um, you know, uses the meal to tell a new story of a new sort of deliverance um, that's coming. And in this meal, there's also a promise woven into it too, because he says, um, I'm going to meet, I'm going to eat this meal with you again. You know, this isn't uh-huh. the, the story. And, um, and so now we are participants in that meal, you know, and, and I think, I think what I really wanted to, this was like the thing that I wanted to bring to the table <laughs> Um, I didn't mean to say it like that, but uh, no pun intended, um, was that um, there is um, joy in this meal, that it's not just, I think I grew up 
um, and to no, no one's certain fault, but um, grew up just seeing it as a meal of only remembrance, um, mm-hmm. of only looking back at what he's done and sort of confused about what I was supposed to do with that. You know, like you yeah. take your wafer and you take your little cup and you bow your head and you don't look around and, you know, you yeah. sort of do this performative remembrance, like will yourself to like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Imagining Jesus and yeah. um and so then I be, kind of become the central actor of the story. Mm. Um, um, but the promise is that we're, we're, we're feasting on this future meal coming, you know, this promise that there's a rescue still um, coming, um, that there's a future hope that we're um, looking toward this future meal with him. So it's a, it's a looking back at um, the promise um, that he has fulfilled for us. And it's looking forward of how it will come into its fullness too. Yeah. Remember and proclaim. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, the I heard somebody recently say that the, the church uh, ought to be kind of a time machine. Mm, yeah. That, that sort of gives a, a vision of the future, mm-hmm. um, the, the kingdom, the future kingdom. Um, and, you know, at the same time as a time machine, to the past, right? We're doing something here that's been that's been happening for a long, long time. Yeah, we tell the whole story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I love. There's a picture um, in your in your uh, book. And by the way, who's the illustrator for this book? Uh, Laura Pennebaker. Okay, Laura Pennebaker. Uh, there's a picture that has a the the Earth encircled by a table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the 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 uh, equator is a is a table mm-hmm. um, that that here is a here is a table to which the whole world is invited to. Mm-hmm. I love that little picture. Um, and I, you know, the, the subtitle of, of your book is um, it, I think it's what it, an invitation to the table, an invitation to the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, you're you're telling the story and you're saying to to the reader, you've got a place in this story. Right? That this mm-hmm. is a this is a table that you are invited to, um, and that's one of the things I, I love most about this little book is it said, here's this story, and and it's your story, too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That One of the um, lines in the book is um, that that picture came from is that um, this table is as long as history and as wide as the world, and um, I, that was one of the lines that I sort of you know, fix the whole book around just that thought of people have been sitting around this table for years and years, you know, and will continue. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, just a sweet picture of, you know, yesterday we um, recognized All Saints Day and mm-hmm. um, it was really beautiful to sit with our children at the table and talk about the saints that have gone before us and and to think that we will be those, you know, one day that people are um, <laughs> talking about, um, hopefully. Um yeah, right. But anyway, yeah, just that our place in in this story um, that means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we? You know, I don't know how to ask this question, but you know, the this idea that we have a place in the story that sounds I don't know that that sounds like that's that, that's the kind of talk that could be you could mean just sort of metaphorically or just sort of um, just as, an, as a nice thing to say. Hmm. 
And I, I think you're, I think you're talking about something very specific and, <laughs> and very, I mean, not, not just a nice thing to say, but literally this is a story that we have a, that we have a place in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have anything more to say about that, but. Um, yeah, well, we, we continue to um, be participants in this. When we're, when we're at the table, we're saying Christ died for the world, but he died for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that is my place in the story that um, it was a, a particular redemption for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're, um, yeah, we're, we're telling ourselves the story um, that we have a particular place in. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think it's, it's interesting to think about um, a storybook about communion, about the Lord's Supper for children. Um, insofar as, again, you, you know, you're, you're saying we've got this, we're telling the story that goes back to the Passover that goes forward to the, to the marriage supper of the lamb and you, child have a have a place in that story um and that's kind of what i mean i i'm not i'm sure there i I know plenty of people could say this more more clearly but that's kind of what a sacramental view of of the world Mm. is to say there are um there are larger things going on than what we see with our eyeballs yeah you know than, than what we sense with our with our five senses and yet our five senses are a path toward or, or a way of connecting to mm-hmm. these things that we can't sense with our, with our five senses, which to me feels very relevant to, um, to writing, to, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> we talk about the importance of, of, um, you know, Flannery O'Connor talks about the importance of staying on the surface as a way of getting below the surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, a big part of the reason she talks that way is because she, you know she was a devout Catholic, mm. um, and so you know the in the sacraments here are these these sensory experiences that somehow go beyond the sensory, mm-hmm. which is also kind of what story does. Mm, yeah, visible signs of invisible grace. Yeah, um, I I love the way that Jamie Smith talks about. Well, just about everything, but um, specifically worship. Um, and I listened to um, a talk by him recently um, where he was he was talking about, you know, worship services. And he used the story that we've all we've all heard this story before. Every preacher, I think, in the whole world has used the story about the man in the flood. And, you know, he prays and says, God, yeah. you know, send, you know, God's going to save me. Well, he sends a boat comes and he says, no, God's going to save me. And then another boat comes, tries to get him on. He says, no, I'm okay. God's going to save me. And then, you know, the water's up to his neck and a helicopter comes and tries to beckon him on. And he says, no, it's okay. God's going to save me. And then of course we all know he dies and gets to heaven and says, God, I thought you were going to save me. What happened? And you know, God said, well, I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter and you know, what more do you want? Yeah. But, um, but he used this, story to um, illustrate um, our worship and how, how so often we want these like big showy experiences, um, um, mountaintop experienced experiences to um, feel the presence of God with us. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And all the while God, God is saying, you know, I sent you bread and I sent you wine and I, I sent you the word and, and these sort of ordinary um, means of grace. Um, but that's also, and yeah, just our ordinary everyday lives too, of um, the birds outside and mm-hmm. flowers and, um, you know, our child's face and um, God, he meets us in these really ordinary moments. Um, yeah. And those are the places that we sense his presence with us. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I, I think it's such an important part of the writer's job to say, look, pay attention, right? Look at these ordinary things that, that are fraught with meaning. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah to give the, the airy nothings, a local <laughs> habitation and a name. There you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of every day, uh, you have like three, four. How many kids do you have? Just three. Just Don't three. Have <laughs> <laughs> three kids. Um, and, and tell me about your writing life. How, how does that? How does that work with three kids hmm. being part not, of church? Plan? Not very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, we've done different things in different seasons. Um, there, there's been seasons where I've had a, you know, a set time, a one night a week where I've gotten away, um, or one morning, um, this was all pre pandemic that sort of turned things, um, on its head. Um, we haven't really gotten mm-hmm. into a good rhythm when I say we, I mean, I'm not talking about myself in the third person, but <laughs> <laughs> my family, you know, we're all trying to figure this out together. What does this look like for mom to write, to be able to have space to write? So, um, I don't know. Right now it's been more in just the crevices of life, um, staying up late to work on something or, you know, finding space where, um, Andrew can help with the kids and mm-hmm. but yeah, it's difficult. So it's staying up late more than getting up early for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do you like the morning, but I don't write well in the morning. I mm-hmm. write better at night. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, do you have um, uh, a writer's group or are there, there are people in, in your life? Well, with you? I'll give a plug for the habit membership here. Well, okay. <laughs> this can be one long advertisement. Um, yeah. I, I have never um, really lived like day-to-day life with any other um, writers. I never really knew that there were ordinary people out there who took writing seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I guess it was a, a couple of years ago, I, I got involved in the um, habit membership and um, that was so good for me. And it's still so good for me to um, see other ordinary people who are taking writing very seriously as an assignment um, mm-hmm. um, and who are working at things, you know, I've seen people over there who've been working on things for years Mm -hmm. um, and sort of practicing that long obedience in the same Mm -hmm. direction. Um, And that has been huge for me. Um, And to see other people wrestling, you know, for me to feel so lonely in the fact that I love writing, but why is it so hard? You know, (laughs) if I love this thing, why is it's just me? It must just be, just be me that I can't do this thing that I love, but to see other people wrestling, um, with that too, has been really good. So, but out of that, um, I have, um, Jen Disher, who's a part of, um, the habit membership. We realized we lived local to one another. So we do, um, get together, um, along with another local writer, you know, every few months or so and kind of 
it's not, it's not really a workshopping place um, where we bring our works and sort of talk about it, but it's more just sharing what we're working on and praying for one another. And yeah, it's a really good. Um, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you uh, never pictured writing for, for children. What have you always pictured writing? <laughs> I don't, for adults, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just really enjoy writing essays. I think that's sort of my sweet spot is um, to just sort of process through writing what I'm thinking about and um, wrestling with truth and um, seeing where it ends up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you the question you uh, know is coming. Um, who are the writers who make you want to write, Elizabeth? Um, well, you know what? For me, it's actually the poets and the songwriters, which uh -huh. is funny because I write neither of those things. But um, I think I just love how um, we can memorize something and sort of carry it around, you know, as something yeah. to come back to. And that feels like such a gift to me. Um, to have a sort of phrase to carry around. Um, so that makes me want to give that sort of thing to other people. But um, so poets, um, Wendell Berry, for sure, his um, collection of Sabbath poems have mm -hmm. just really become part of our family culture. Um, but I love the way he writes with patience and grace and um, yeah, just sort of bridges earth and heaven together. Um, and then Malcolm Guite is a favorite mm, in our house yeah. too. His um, collection after prayer—I just love the whole concept of that. That he took yeah. Herbert's poem and sort of unfurled it into yeah. um, just more poetry. And at so many of those points, actually, I'm staring at one right now. There, we have one—the um, church's banquet up in our dining room. Uh huh. It become part of just my prayer life too. Um, you know, one thing I love about after prayer is that the George Herbert poem "Prayer" always kind of drove me crazy because there's no verbs in the whole. There's not a <laughs> verb in the whole poem. It's like there's there's not right. a there's not a sentence in the whole poem. That just kind of it's like that. That's frustrating to me. I, you know, as much as I love Herbert, I, I never, I never, and, and then here comes Malcolm Guite and says, "Let me unpack each mm -hmm. one of these little things that's not even a sentence." Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to take the phrase and turn it into a poem. And I'm like, yeah. thank you, Malcolm Guide, for doing <laughs> that for me. Right. And, and sort of, you know, bringing to life a poem that um, that I had very mixed feelings about. Oh, wow. Yeah. that It is beautiful, that generative sense of yeah. bring something else out of this. So yeah. maybe you can write after, after prayer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could improve on uh, what Malcolm <laughs> Yeah. Well, songwriters. Yeah. Well, that was just so long. So um, just two I'll name um, that were really helpful for me in the writing of this book. I had a sort of playlist that I would go to hmm. um, when I was writing and would get stuck. Um, so Sandra McCracken is one of those. Um, I just love the way it feels like she's thrown her anchor into heaven and just kind of pulling us all along with her. <laughs> stirring up joy and hope. And um, so the We Will Feast song is something that I listen to a lot and probably has echoes in the book. Um, and then um, Arthur, um, do you say it all a good or Ally good? Ally good, I think. Um, I, his album, The Shadow Can't Have Me. Um, mm -hmm. I just, I don't, I have almost zero credibility to talk about songwriting, but I just, I don't know. I don't think you can get much better than that album. I just love the way he sort of 
inhales the 23rd Psalm and then exhales it yeah. as Arthur. You know, I don't know him, but I, I, yeah. I can tell that that is a very like earthy feet on the ground. This is what the 23rd Psalm looks like in his life. And that makes me want to do the same sort of thing um, to breathe in, you know, the word yeah. of God and to, to offer it back of this is, this is what it looks like in Elizabeth Arwell's life. Yeah. I think uh, Arthur Alligator and I might be related by marriage. Really? My my wife was an Alligood, or you know, in the Alligoods, you know, South Georgia Alligoods, and he's from South Georgia Alligoods, so I'm sure they're related. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a very common name. Yeah. Um, I love what you're saying here about this idea of gen- of of poetry that um, or poems and songs that that give life to new poems and songs. Mm. I mean, I would I'd, I'd love to know how many how many works of art have been started with, with we will feast in the house of Zion. You know, that, mm. that song has been so incredibly important for the last yeah. few years. It seems like, yeah. um, but, but in all three of those examples, you, you were really talking about breathing in something and breathing out, mm-hmm. you know, breathing in Herbert's poem prayer and breathing out after prayer. And mm. yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Arthur's, uh, what he did with the 23rd Psalm, which really is pretty amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mad- one, another author, I'll just say real quickly to Madeline Lingle, her, um, a circle of quiet book. Um, she talks about this idea. She's, she brings something to her husband that she's written and, um, he sort of says, well, you know, somebody else has said that better before, which is kind of a funny response from my husband. <laughs> Um, Andrew's never said that to me, but her response back to him was, of course, it's been said or said better before. Like it's all been said better before, but I have to say it through yeah. me, you know? And, um, so I think that's really, you know, what's happening here is, um, this generative sense of, it, of course, it's been said better before, but I can say it through me. Um, the world hasn't heard it through me yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, uh, insight as to how you get to that point where you're I mean did you have to cross a chasm to to when you made the realization that that it somebody's already said everything already mm. probably better yeah how do you get from that realization to and yet I'm still gonna yeah well I think it has yeah. to do with your your central motivation for writing I mean I I dropped this this book particularly so many times um, because mm. that was the thought of like, I, why am I the one doing this? <laughs> I can't, I can't say this the best. Surely it's been said better or somebody else in the future can say it better than I can do it. And so I would drop it and inevitably somebody would um, say, Hey, what, how's this project going? Or, um, mm. Hey, I just sat through communion with my kids and when's your book coming out? Mm. And so that sort of snapped me out of this um, and made me realize if I, if I can drop the book and walk away from it, then that means that it's just at a cost to me, you know, yeah. um, that means my central motivation is just for me to fling this thing out into the world. Um, but if I'm actually writing for my neighbor, if I'm actually writing for mm-hmm. other people and I drop it, then it's at a cost to, to them too. Um, yeah. So I think that's what sort of snaps, snaps you out of it is what, who, who are you writing this for? You know, if it's yeah. for myself, then yeah, I want to say it the best. I want to be, you know, say this better than anybody else has ever or will ever say it again. But if I'm writing it for to love my neighbor, um, 
then that, that doesn't matter. You know, I just need to write the thing. Yeah, that's great. Well, Elizabeth Harwell, thank you so much for taking half an hour with me this morning. And um, I, I, I love your little book. And uh, that sound I didn't mean for that to sound. It is a little. It is a little. It book. Is a little it's not. Bit. It's not yeah. I don't. I don't mean that. Is that your cute little? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a little important book. So thank you for writing it, and thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Jonathan. This was fun. This podcast is brought to you by the Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community, and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.